Well, I want to hop right into this series, so I want you to listen. Uh, there's going to be some information. There's going to be some inspiration. But I want to talk to you about what's ahead for you as a believer. What's ahead for you? Uh, this world just goes, this temporal world is going to be, it's gone in a flash, everybody. It's gone in a flash. And we need to be talking about where we're going to be and what's going to happen for us for eternity, not just this little temporal world that does come to an end. And uh, it's a wonderful thing what God has planned for, you, for us. It's an amazing thing. And I want to, I want to tell you why this is so important. It's because if you heard the prophetic word that just went forward, you're going to be captivated on just how much Jesus Christ loves you and every living soul that he would prepare a place for you and me. And we're going to talk about some end time things in this series. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about some prophetic things as we go. And it's wonderful. We're going to talk about what happens when you, when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to talk about that's where, don't scare that, oh, judge me. No, it's going to be a wonderful thing. We're going to talk about that. Some of you don't know. Some of you don't know. You just don't know about heaven. Uh, you think they're all ghosts. Uh, you think they're up there playing harps. Uh, you're going to discover you, have not, you ain't seen nothing yet. Your most exciting day on the planet Earth that you can remember is going to look boring compared to what you're going to experience in real time every moment of your eternity. It's going to look boring. And I've had some exciting times. <clears throat> it, it's going to get really good. So I want you to turn to John 14 with me. And so Jesus is talking about his departing, but he's also talking about his returning. And I want you to see the words of Jesus Christ. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Can, you, can everybody just say that line with me out loud? You up on the screen if you have a Bible. Let's say it together. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know you're watching the Middle East. It's very important to see what's happening to Israel. It is a part of the prophetic time clock. All it takes is for one person to do something that will tip this thing whole over the edge and we could see Jesus very soon. That's how close the return of Jesus Christ could happen. That quick. Continue to pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for peace in the Middle East. But I'm going to tell you right now, as I go through this series, and even as we talk about Revelation, you're going to discover that peace is not going to come through anyone else except the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. That's when it will ultimately happen. Thank God they're trying to work for peace, but it will never happen until that moment. And you're going to find out why as we get through the series. So let me tell you, if you're in panic, anxiety, if you're worried about dying today, if the doctor gave you a prognosis, if your, if your pension has give up on you and you're worried about your finances, if you're struggling on whether or not uh, uh, you're going to have enough food, if you're struggling whether or not your kids are going to know Jesus or not, if you're, if you're worried and eliminating fear and consternation of what if a nuclear bomb goes off, if you're just worried because a zit popped on your forehead, let me tell you, all... <clears throat> hey, everybody's stress is different around here. I'm going to tell you all of that should fade when you just start discovering what he has planned for you as a Jesus follower. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, 
Would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You think you're running from God and he's trying to hang out with you. And he says, I've got such an amazing plan that's going to blow your mind that I have prepared for you. And so I want to start on this series about heaven for a moment and even things in the future that are coming to us as believers, exciting things, and some terrible things that are coming to people that reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I can't talk about wonderful and not include awful, because it will be awful. People reject Jesus Christ. It will be. But let's talk about heaven for a moment. So before we get into heaven, first of all, you need to understand that there is a heaven that believers, when they die, they, they go to a place called heaven. But you also need to understand that that heaven is not the permanent heaven where we're going. If you go and be with the Lord, there's a permanent heaven and there is a present heaven. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about permanent heaven, which is called the new heaven and the new earth. But there is a heaven that's prepared for you and me right now that I'm telling you, the more I study this, the more I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm wishing that I could just jump up and God take me, just go, let's go right now. I'm envying everybody that is ahead of us because I'm figuring out just what he has. So let's talk about just for a moment, the permanent heaven. John, the apostle John was on the, on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there. And while he was on the Isle of Patmos, you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that Jesus came to him. He said, I'm going to tell you things. I'm going to show you things, not only present, but I'm going to tell you things that are going to happen futuristically. The book, of, the book of the Revelation. And here's something that John saw when he was in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. He says, then I saw, ready for this, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first heaven had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for his bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Friends, he's talking about the permanent, that one day this earth will be restored to what God originally intended before there was any sin at all. That's the permanent place that's happened for us. We'll talk about that next week. And he says, there's going to be no more sea. Some of you say, mean there's going to be no more water? No, no. It says no more sea. If you think about the sea for a moment, what does that really represent? Three quarters of the planet is covered with water. And as a result of that water, it has separated nations and people from each other. What God is saying is there, it's not that there's going to be any water. What's going to happen is there will be nothing that separates every tribe, every tongue from every nation of the world worshiping God together. There's the unity that we're all longing for that the United Nations can never give us. It will never give it to us. It will try, but the reason they're trying is because that's the longing of the Spirit to have what God said I'm going to give. That's why they try. That's why they try so hard. So that's the permanent. We're going to talk more about that. But then I want to talk about the present heaven today. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a vision, and, and, he, and, and he said, when he had this vision, he said, I don't know if I was out of the body or if I was in the body. He says, but the Lord knows. I, I, it was so real. I don't know if I was in the spirit or out of my body or in my body, but God knows which one it was. But he felt, I literally felt like I was there as real as I'm standing here talking to you. It was that real. 
And he said, and God took me to the third heaven. Let me explain the third heaven just for a moment because some of you are talking about, what's the third heaven? Are there levels of heaven? So then you get people that teach there are level of heavens. The Bible does not point to levels of heaven. It does talk about rewards and level of rewards, but not levels of heaven. When the ancient culture would refer to the third heaven, what that really was was there are that what they see as the three realms, if you will. It's earth's atmosphere, then the interplanetary, and then beyond that, would be the paradise that Paul's talking about, the presence of God. So let me tell you something. He went to that third heaven, the presence of God, paradise itself, and saw things he said that were so amazing. Think about that. Now there's something to note about this. We're building spaceships, rocket ships, space stations. We're building them, and we're trying to go higher and higher. We're trying to get to Mars, hoping we go beyond that. Friends, I'm going to tell you, they can go into the interplanetary and go into the interstellar area as far as they want to go, but there's only one way you can get to that third heaven, and that's if God, by his presence, redeems you, saves you, and you enter that presence. No rocket ship, no spacesuit can get you there. Only the blood of Jesus and a relationship with Jesus gets you into that paradise with Jesus Christ. So that's what that is, okay? That's what they're referring to. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 4. You got a lot of territory to cover, so listen in a hurry with me, okay? He says, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. In, in other words, there is no language on the planet Earth that can express what he saw there. It just, fa it just fails. He said, so astounding things no human is allowed to tell. In fact, when, when Paul gave this, he held this vision and what he experienced for 14 years, the Bible says. He wouldn't tell anybody. The problem, what I see sometimes, friends, you need to note this, is that Apostle Paul in his teaching always focused on Jesus Christ, his redemption, his love for people, his redeeming power. That Paul, I think, even was to the place that when you start talking about heaven, people start worshiping heaven and looking forward to heaven, and they forget what they're supposed to be looking for is the one who prepared the place for you, not the place that is prepared for you. Amen. That his whole focus would be Jesus, that he said, there are things that I'm not even, even going to express or I'm not going to tell. And I just want to drop this in as a note as we're talking about this. Be very careful of people who had near-death experiences and they start revealing things that do not line up with the Scripture or the Word of God. You have to be very, very careful. There are some that line up exactly with the Word of God, and you rejoice in that. But be very careful when someone says, I had a near-death experience, or I felt like I had died, and this is what God showed me, and it's contrary to the Word of God. Or God has other things that He says He's going to give download to me, and I'm going to give them to you later. They're outside of the Word of God. How many of the Bible says that that person ought to be accursed that tries to add anything else to it? Now watch this. Even if someone has a near-death experience, there's only one authority that stands above anybody's experience. And that is the inspired, written Word of God is the ultimate authority over every person's experience. Can somebody say amen? Just remember that. So Paul was even careful of that, but Paul did see something. And he said, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know if I was in, out of my body or in my body. God knows, but it was like I'm standing here in front of you, and I saw these things. I revealed these things 14 years ago. And Paul something saw something so amazing about present heaven, so astounding that he would write things like this in Philippians 1.21. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Who 
in the thunder goes around, look, goes around saying, man, I'm looking forward to the day I die. Who does that? How does he, I mean, this is the way this guy's talking. I'm looking, and, and then he gets in verse 23 and he says, listen, I desire, and I, he says, I really want to get out of here. I want to be with Jesus. He said, this is what Paul says. I want to be with Jesus, which is by far better than what we're experiencing now. But he said, I got to stay here to finish his assignment, his work to be with you. But I'd rather get out. I want to, who says, man, I'm ready to die. I'm looking forward to the day I die. I'm going to tell you, it's a guy who saw something that was revealed to him <clears throat> that knows it's far greater than anything you could ever experience on this planet earth. So much so that he says, I really want to get out of here. <clears throat> Jesus said he prepared a place. John saw that place. The apostle Paul saw that physical heaven. And here's the bottom line of all of it. Don't get so caught up with what that's happened in heaven. I want you to see it. I want you to realize it. But I want you to understand what the really thing really is. The deal is, is that he really wants to be with you. And he wants you with him. That's what John 14, 1 is. It's the culmination of God's heart in his original intention in the Garden of Eden. When there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no family dysfunction, there was no breakup, there was no sickness, there was no pain, there was no conflict. It was a place where God and man communed together in the cool of the day. Perfect communion, no sin. That's what God wants. And John 14 is the culmination of God saying, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I really love you. I created you in my image. How many are looking forward to that place that he has prepared for us? So... <clears throat> If I talk about present heaven and permanent heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, see present heaven as a layover. See paradise as a layover because he's got something better that he's even still bringing when he brings the new Jerusalem. Just look at this layover. Uh, how many of you love to go to tropical places, especially in the winter? Let me just tell you something. Brenda and I, we went on trips, and you know, we, and some of you have gone overseas, and you said, I want to go to Italy, I want to, I, I want to, I want to go to the Bahamas, I've never been to Bahamas, I want to go there when, when it's cold here, and you've never been before. So what do you get? All you get are brochures. And you look at the brochures, and you book that thing, and you've never been there. Well, then all of a sudden, as you're getting ready to go, Brenda and I, we love to go, we love to go to places that are nice and warm and sandy beaches, but every time we fly, let me tell you, most of the time we have to go through a layover in Dallas, Texas. Now, when I go to the counter, they say, what's your destination? I do not say Dallas, Texas. I said, I'm headed to Destin. Isn't that what I say, right? I'm not, but while I'm in Dallas, I've got a lot of pastor friends there. And when I'm there, sometimes I'll take a day to lay over there and just to hang out with them, have fun, goof around, get refreshed. So shop, plenty of shopping, <laughs> lots of shopping. But I'm not staying there. I'm just laying over. Now that's kind of a, that's, it's, it's, it's the best way I can describe what's happening. When you as a Jesus follower die, you go to the present heaven that's just a layover, hanging out with Jesus, hanging out with Abraham, the apostle Paul, Peter, all your family members. In the joy of the Lord, you're hanging out there, but your ultimate destination is the new heaven and the new earth when God establishes kingdom back on this earth the way he originally intended. How many are ready just to even enjoy the layover? Amen? See, we don't talk about this enough. We don't talk about this enough. One of the most difficult sermons I ever preached was the shortest sermon I ever preached and was the most difficult sermon I ever preached. 
And it was the most anointed I've ever felt in any message ever preached. I'm going to tell you, you can, I, I preached a lot of messages, but it was the most anointed I ever felt. I told Brent it was the most anointed I ever felt. The most difficult message, but the most anointed I ever felt. And that was when the day when the doctors told Sarah, Sarah, there's nothing more we can do. You're going you're gonna to have to go into hospice. And I sat there with Sarah. And I realized I taught my kids how to live. But I didn't talk enough about how to die as a believer. And what's waiting for you. And I sat there with Sarah and I told her everything to the best of my knowledge, what is waiting for you. And I said, Sarah, one of my friends, Pastor Mike Robertson, has preached here many times. He had a near-death experience at 19 years of age where he drowned in a lake and he even saw his body at the bottom of the lake. And he felt his spirit leave his body, saw his body down there. And he said, he said to put him on a journey. He said, put me on a journey that I interviewed almost 200 people near this experience. He said, let me tell you the difference between unbelievers and believers. He said, every single believer that I interviewed, almost 200 people, he said, felt the exact same thing I felt. He said, this amazing presence of God that came over me, unbelievable love for me, unbelievable peace, he said, so much so that I saw my body and I did not want to return to it. And I said, Sarah, he said, of the hundred, over the almost 200 people, Every single Jesus follower said, I did not want to come back. And I'm telling you something, folks. There is something they feel and even maybe some things they get to see that when they're there, they don't want to come back. And I told Sarah, Jesus may ask you, do you want to come back? And I said, I know you love me and you love mom, but I promise you, you're not going to want to come back even to the people you love the best because of the love you're going to encounter there. And I think sometimes, friends, when we sit there, we don't talk enough about heaven. We don't. We don't talk enough about heaven in church. But it's like you taking a trip. you got the brochure, never been to Italy. And guess what? You keep looking at the brochure. You get more excited about Italy. You've never been there. I've never seen before, but I'm going to talk more about Italy. Your wife will go, oh, can't wait to get to Italy. Can't wait to get the cruise. Can't wait to get the Mediterranean cruise. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. You're getting more excited that all of a sudden you start forgetting about the stuff that's happening here. You don't mind having to work overtime. You don't worry about the screaming kid because you know I'm getting ready to go to Italy, a place I have never been before. And all of your worries and all your stress pales in the light of what you know you're getting ready to go to. And once you get there, it's better than the brochure or online could have ever given you. Can I tell you, it's the same thing. When you start looking to what heaven has for you, you can put up with all the garbage of this world. You can put up with the conflict. You can put up with the disease. You can put up with all the, dis, uh, all the dysfunction because you know you're headed to a city, to Jesus, to the presence of God. You know you can put up with anything because of what you know you're headed toward. So he has a place prepared for us, not just permanently, but even right now in the present. You say, well, where is present heaven, Pastor? How many love that, that little uh, ad we did for uh, the promo for Wonderful? Did you watch that over again? I love hearing those kids. Well, where is heaven? Where is it? Well, let me just, let me just give you kind of what I have a sense of. I have a sense that it is another dimension. I, is it in the clouds? I don't, I, I don't know if it's in the clouds. But I know that there's a dimension, as Paul said, that third heaven that was a realm that goes beyond interplanetary, I'm telling you, it is only through Jesus Christ. 
There's a book that I've been, I leaned into when I was doing my study for the series. It's called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I encourage you, if you, you want to take some time to read it, it's a, it's a, it's a good book. I, some things, I, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's pretty, pretty strong biblically. But I love this. He says this. The present heaven is normally invisible to those living on earth. For those who have trouble accepting the reality of an unseen realm, consider the perspective of cutting-edge researchers who embrace string theory. Scientists at Yale, Princeton, Stanford, among others, postulate that there are 10 unobservable dimensions and likely an infinite number of imperceptible universes. If this is what the leading scientists believe, why should anyone feel self-conscious about believing in an unobservable dimension, a realm containing angels, heaven, and hell? Friends, I'm going to tell you, it's not make-believe. It is for real. And it may be unobservable to us at times, but there is a realm that God has allowed humans to have an observance of that realm that is there. When you look at the stories, you can go study them. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. When Elijah and Elisha and Gehazi, the king of Aram, was going to capture him, and he wanted to kill Elisha. And Gehazi said, we're doomed. The whole army is just you and me. And then Elisha said, God, would you open up my servant's eyes so he can see what I see. And all of a sudden, Gehazi's eyes were open, and he saw chariots. He saw angels surrounding. And he says, there are more with us than there are with the people that are coming to attack us. They couldn't see him, but God let him see that realm and that dimension that is really, really there. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 56, that dimension can sometimes be seen by people here. You remember the story of Stephen when he was being martyred, and they were stoning him. Do you remember what he saw? He began to see Jesus, and he saw heaven as he was being stoned. And it says that even the people stoning him saw his face light up like an angel and begin to glow. He started experiencing and seeing the glory of God and started manifesting with glory literally starting to come around him as he saw something that was unobservable by natural eyes. Friends, it is there. Is it in the clouds? Is it up there? It is a dimension, a realm that God has that only by Jesus Christ can we enter it. How many say amen to that? So you say, no, well, pastor, for believers, will we go to heaven immediately? Let me explain something here real quickly. There are a lot of people that think we fall asleep in Jesus. And that simply means when they are asleep in Jesus is that when you look at the body, it looks as if it is sleep. It is not a soul sleep. And the reason why I don't believe in soul sleep is because the Bible never teaches about soul sleep. There's nothing that teaches there. That they're in some kind of suspended kind of some kind of state, suspended state until the second coming and Jesus resurrects him. There's really no scriptural basis for that. In fact, there is a basis that shows we go immediately into the presence of God. And guess where it is? Jesus on the cross when the criminal who believed him in and received him. That moment he got saved and said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus replied, look what he said. I assure you today, today you will be with me in what everybody? And the Greek word for paradise there literally means a walled park or an enclosed garden. He says that's what it meant. It's not something that's growing wild. It's something that's made, prepared, walled, a garden that someone has cultivated. He says, you will be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus said to him. Look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. He says, I'd rather get out of here. For then we will be at home with the Lord. There is no soul sleep. 
How many know we are fully aware and we enter into the presence of God as Jesus Christ followers? Oh my, my. Okay, you say, well, pastor, do they have bodies? Am I going to be stuck with this body? (laughs) Let me make something really clear just for a moment. When God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 2-7, he created the body, then breathed in that body spirit. So you got to understand something. That when God created you, he created you spirit and body. Spirit and physical body. He created it, and he made it perfect in the beginning. Can somebody say amen to that? So you need to understand that you are both spiritual and physical. I want you to look at the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. There's going to be a lot of stuff, so you've got to listen, got to listen close. It says, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. When Jesus resurrected, he had his glorified body. They saw it. They touched him. I mean, for crying out loud, he made them supper. Read it. It even tells you what the menu was. He made them fish. They had fish and chips. And Jesus ate fish and chips with him in his glorified body. That's the glorified body. You got to remember that. That's the resurrected glorified body. He was the first among them. Look at this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, he says, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He was the one that first showed that glorified, resurrected from the dead, physical body. It was Jesus. They touched him. He had that glorified body. But when someone dies now, their body is not resurrected. So, pastor, do they have a body? As I look through the scripture, as I look at this, I'm really looking at this, it seems to indicate when you start reading it and studying it, it seems that the Jesus Christ followers who have died have some type of a heavenly body. They're not ghosts. They're not just spirits moving around. They have some type of heavenly body, not the resurrected body. But some type of heavenly body. It's definitely not a disembodied spirit when you read the scripture. Let me just take you to a couple places, okay? So you just, do do they have a body? I believe they have some form of a heavenly body, some type. It's not their glorified body, but it's sure not like this one, I promise you. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, I promise you. Amen, yeah. (laughs) Here's why I believe they have some some type of a physical form that can be seen. When you look in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was on the Mount of the Transfiguration. And you remember, he took disciples Peter, James, and John with him. And all of a sudden, when Jesus was there, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And physical eyes of Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah and identified them. They saw some type of of heavenly body of form. Not only that one, but then you look with the story with Jesus in, in Luke 16, 24. Look at that story where you, Jesus tells the story of the rich man who denied Christ is in hell and Lazarus is with Abraham in paradise. Watch this. And when you see this, Jesus tells this story in Luke 24. Now watch this. He said, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, 
have some pity. Send Lazarus. So this is a real, this is not the Lazarus of Jesus' friend that he resurrected later. This is a different Lazarus. Send Lazarus. So we have a real man with a real name. Send Lazarus over here. Both of these men have died. To dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So there is some type of something that is almost physical that they have some type of body. I am in anguish in these flames. This is not figurative. It's a real man with a real name. And there are bodies that you can see. And we're talking about fingers and we're talking about tongue. So they're not ghosts just floating around. Look at John and Revelation. Now this is one we're going to come back to a lot. John in the book of Revelation, God has given him, taken him up into the presence of God. He's seen heaven. He's seen things futuristic. God's showing him things. And he sees something. He sees the elders and the saints who have already died. These were humans that have already died. Now watch this. Revelation 6, 9. Look what it says. It says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred. These are humans that have been killed for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them. Okay, I don't know about you, but you can't drop a robe on a spirit. <laughs> so there is some, these are people that have not had their resurrected bodies yet. And he's saying, Lord, they see, he sees a physical elders and saints there. So I believe present dwellers, present heaven dwellers have a body, but there's even a better body that's coming. A glorified body. Do you know that we even here on this earth, we anticipate that resurrection of that glorified body? I don't know if y'all know this, but do you know that cemeteries, did you know this? That when they bury someone, they bury them from east to west, that their face, all their faces are facing the eastern sky. Go check it out. We bury people with the anticipation of resurrection. Why? Because Matthew 24, 27, Jesus said, For as lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. Cemeteries bury people today that when they resurrect, they're facing the eastern sky when Jesus appears. Some of you didn't know that, did you? So you think I'm lying, don't you? Google it. Believe everything on the internet. Please, believe everything. But there's something better coming for him. And Apostle Paul talks about that something better when we're resurrected. <laughs> something better. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living also will be, also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. How many of you thank God the body you have is not the body you got to live with. It's going to be the one that is redeemed and restored totally and completely. Whew. Think about that. You're going to be resurrected and you're going to know who you are. Do I become an angel? No, angels are angels and humans are humans. 
And when you get to heaven, no more sickness, no more pain, no more dying, no more separation. Oh, church, I don't know. Listen, it may, I just sometimes I feel like we ought to just take the exit signs off of the doors and stick them on the ceiling and say, come on, Jesus, take us all now. Amen. Let's get excited about heaven. Amen. Here's a couple other questions. Will we be able to communicate? Of course you'll be able to communicate. You're going to know who each other, you're going to know who we are. You're going to know your family. You're going to know them all. We'll be able to communicate. Let's go back to Revelation 6. We're going to hang out there a little bit. Revelation 6.10, look what he said. He said, they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for, that, for what they have done to us? These martyrs had the ability to not only talk to each other, but they were talking to Jesus Christ himself. I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, you're not just floating around. You're going to know what's going on. It's going to be as real, only so incredible, friends, when you get there. You're going to have conversations. You're going to laugh. You're going to have fellowship. You're going to talk. You're going to laugh. You're going to eat. Look what Jesus said. Jesus, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and feast in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that, everybody? You are going to be able to talk with the patriarchs of old. You're going to be able to talk with the apostles. You're going to have conversations with Jesus. You're going to talk with believers you've never known before. We're going to stand in the presence of God, holy before him. Friends, can I tell you, you'll even get to sit down with Pastor Sam and Brenda and finally have that dinner you've always wanted. It's coming. It's coming. Don't get discouraged. Will we have emotions? People wonder, will we have emotions? Listen, we were created by God in his image. How many know God has emotions? The Holy Spirit can even be made grieved. God can be made grieved. He can be sad. He can be made happy. Emotions are a part of your soul. It's part of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's going to be redeemed when you're in the presence of God. So all that wacky stuff you do with your emotions, it's all going away. <laughs> all those other wacky people you deal with their emotions, it's going away, those believers. It's going to be redeemed. I'm telling you, it's going to be, but you will have emotions. Of course we're going to have emotions. You know how we know it? Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. He said, there is joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. If you get saved today and give your life to Jesus Christ, they start going bananas in heaven. They start bucking, snorting, shucking, jiving, throwing songbooks, dance the carpet to the burlap. They are flat getting happy. There is a lot of joy and emotion. So if you're a drill kill joy, you're not going to enjoy that place much. A lot of emotion. Will we know everything, Pastor? Do we immediately know everything? I believe we're going to know things because our mind will be so glorified and redeemed that we're going to learn, th I mean, the parts of our, I mean, it's going to be what God really intended. But I don't believe you know everything where you're omniscient. Because Revelation 6.10 says they're asking Jesus a question, and if you're asking a question, it's because you don't know. They're asking questions. We will always be learning when you get to heaven. You're going to keep growing in the Lord. You're going to discover more things about God, his wonders, when you get there. More great things. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Look at Paul in Ephesians 2, 6. He said, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show 
Look at this. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're going to have a heavenly perspective, friends. We're going to see things in a whole different realm. Our minds will be so expanded that we've never, ever been able to know before. But I will tell you this for one thing. We will not be omniscient because if we were omniscient and we knew everything, then there would be nothing to discover. There'd be nothing to explore there. When you get there, you're going to explore. You're going to discover like crazy. A lot of things. A lot of things. All right, here's another one. Do the people who have died, Christians have gone before them, do they know what's happening on earth right now? Do they know what's happening right now on earth? That's a big question. People say, do they know? Do they see us? I have a sense by looking at the scripture that they do know some things. And here's the reason why. In Luke 15, 10, they know when someone gives their life to Jesus today, they start going crazy. So you know they know some things. They, are, they know some things. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared and three other humans sat there and saw it happen, they saw physical bodies. I mean, they saw some type of, it was a body. Look what Luke 9, 31 says. What they did, they says, they spoke about his departure, Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. So they're telling Jesus about things that are getting ready to happen. So they already knew things that were going to happen to Jesus. So they had knowledge. They had knowledge. They understood. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Right now, you have a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. There's some things they see. They're going, go, go, go. That's what they're saying right now. Revelation 6.10, look at this. They said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to this? Here's for something. Look at this. They remembered their life on earth. You do not forget your life on earth. They remembered their life on earth. The rich man and Lazarus, they both remembered their life on earth. You remember. You don't lose it all. But they, you're still learning. You're still growing. Here's another thing. Not only do they know what's going on, so do they pray for us in heaven? I know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. How many thank God for that? I know there's one up there praying for me. That's all I need. But Scripture seems to indicate that they may be praying for us. Your godly mom and dad may be praying for you. I mean, it's, it, 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 Scripture seems to point this way. In Revelation 6.10, what are they doing? They are interceding for justice to happen for the blood that was shed. They're asking God, how long are you going to wait? They're interceding, folks. They are praying, God, make all justice and all righteousness rule and reign, God. We're asking for it. So they're interceding before Jesus Christ. Think about that just for a moment. That's amazing. It doesn't diminish the joy in heaven. doesn't diminish it. Look, Luke 12:1. the Bible says they're cheering for us in heaven. Now listen, if they're cheering for us, why wouldn't they be praying for us? You say, well, if they know some of the things that are happening, does it take away their joy? It didn't take away Jesus' joy. And he knows what's happening on this earth. They have, listen, doesn't mean that they're ignorant of things. They have a whole different perspective of things. They see eternity for what it's going to be and what it already is. 
Is heaven going to be boring, Pastor? Here's what some of you think. Some of you think that heaven is going to be one long eternal church service. Right now you're afraid to get up and go to the bathroom because everybody's going to look at you. Is it going to be boring? Some of you think they're all going to sit up there just playing harps up there? One long service where you just keep singing Pastor Drew's going to strip his voice out. I got to stand. I can't only take, I can't stand 10 minutes the way it is right now, Pastor. One long eternal church service. Some of you think, oh, friends, it's not going to be, just, it'll be a lot of worship, a lot of praise. Kind of reminds me of the Far Side cartoon. Guy's sitting on a cloud. He's got a halo. This is people's perception. And he's sitting on the cloud. He says, I wish I'd have brought a magazine. You all think it's going to be boring. Oh, it's not going to be boring, folks. Not in the least. Revelation 3, 6 says, it opened its mouth. Watch this. This is, talks about Satan. John, the revelator, saw this about Satan. Watch this. Speaking of Satan, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name. This is what Satan does now. He slanders God's name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Now listen to me closely. Some of us have this perception that heaven's going to be boring. You're going to discover the activity of what God originally intended. The gifts you have are going to continue to flourish. You're going to learn God's presence. There is so much joy. And what Satan does is he slanders it so much that so many of us are afraid of the day should the Lord tarry when you have to die. Paul said, I saw something so powerful that it took the sting of death out because I know what Jesus did for me on that cross and what he has for me. You don't ever have to fear it. Think about that. And we have a Satan right now. We have a demon that is not just slandering God. It's slandering what heaven is like. Oh, that's just a fairy tale. That's Satan slandering you, young man. He is slandering heaven and slandering God and blaspheming God and blaspheming heaven in your mind right now. Well, that's just a fairy tale people make up. I'm telling you, it is a real place. We need to talk. You need to start having more conversations about who you are in Jesus Christ and where you're going and who you will be with when you get there. You should talk about it more. It's like talking about the vacation. You forget all the other pain and all the work in the overtime because you know you're going somewhere that's great where I'm going to get some rest. This is going to blow that away. Can't even describe it. I wish we'd talk more about heaven, more than we talk about the restaurants we've been eating at. You try this restaurant. You got to go to this place, man. They got the greatest ribs. Have you tried this place, man? It's got the. I'm telling you, it's not the place you got. That place you got's junk, man. This is the best Chinese place in the whole town. Have you ever seen people light up like an evangelist for a restaurant? You got to go with me, man. You got to go with me. You got to. You got to go with me. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll even buy. Maybe the reason we are not winning more people, people in church are not winning more people to Jesus Christ is you're forgetting where you're going, what God has prepared for you for eternity because you got a devil that is slandering heaven itself and making you fear it. But buddy, when you start studying where you're going, whoo, and who made it for you and what he did to get you there and everything that he paid, 
my friends, I'm going to tell you, you're going to tell everybody, man, you, you can't, you got to go to heaven. You, you got to go with me. I tell you, somebody's already paid the bill. He did it on a cross 2,000 years ago. You got to go with me. You, you can't stay here. You got to go. You got to taste and see. You got to come with me. Why don't we get that way about heaven and about Jesus like we do restaurants? I want to read just a passage from one book, and I'm going to close. Some of you may have read it. It's written by a pastor by the name of Don Piper. <clears throat> called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And he was, uh, he's a pastor. He pastored a church. And uh, first of all, let me just say, be careful of people's personal experience and don't put them at the same level of the authority of Scripture. But when Scripture agrees with what they experienced, that makes it really beautiful. And uh, Pastor Don Piper was at a minister's conference, headed back home, had a head-on collusion with an 18-wheeler, was pronounced dead at the scene and was dead for 90 minutes. And when I see something line up with what the scripture shows, well, that's what I rejoice over. And I don't make it more authority than the word, but I want to read a little bit of what Pastor Don Piper said when he was dead for 90 minutes. He went to heaven, he saw a lot of things. Listen to what he said. He says, as I tried to explain heaven, my words seem weak and hardly adequate because I have to use earthly terms to refer to unimaginable joy, excitement, warmth, and total happiness. Everyone continually embraced me, touched me, spoke to me, laughed, and praised God. This seemed to go on for a long time, but I didn't tire of it. He said, my father is one of 11 children. Some of his brothers and sisters had as many as 13 children. When I was a kid, our family reunions were so huge, we rented an entire city park in Monticello, Arkansas. We Pipers are affectionate with a lot of hugging and kissing wherever, whenever we come together. None of those earthly family reunions, however, prepared me for the sublime gathering of saints I experienced at the gates of heaven. Those who gathered at Monticello were some of the same people waiting for me at the gates of heaven. Heaven has many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's lights and textures defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiant light engulfing. As I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I'd ever seen. With all the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. Never in my happiest moments have I ever felt so fully alive. Let me tell you something, friends. Those of you that have loved ones that have gone on before with the Lord and they love Jesus, they are more alive than you could ever, they are more alive than you and I are. And there's even something greater that he has prepared for us in the new heaven and the new earth. So the last question people says, well, who gets to go there? Will my pet be there? We'll cover that later. We're going to cover it.
John saw this in Revelation 21, verse 6. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. He's talking about heaven. And I will be their God and they will be my children. You gotta understand, it's not about all the stuff you prepared. It's about how much he loves you. He wants to be with us. That's what he wants. If you're gonna say who will be there, who won't be there? He said in verse eight, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murders, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And we'll talk about that later. So who gets in, Pastor? I'm gonna tell you, it's already been paid for. How I many thank God it's already been paid for? It's already been paid for. Do I gotta sign up somewhere? No. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said in verse 13, a few verses later, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on him will be saved. I don't know if you're in this room playing with God, playing church, or you're a believer that lives in fear, I'm gonna tell you all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you're gonna be just fine. You will be saved. Whether you're in this building or whether you're watching online, without Jesus Christ, it's hopeless you were lost and it's for eternity, forever. Forever. But Jesus loved you so much he already paid the price. You heard the prophetic word. He's already paid the price. And he says, I'm getting something ready for you. Not just present, but I got something permanently for us to be together forever and ever and ever and ever. Wow. How many thank God for his love for you and me. Amen. He loves us so much. He loves us so much.